In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Your Excellency Bishop Rodriguez, Reverend Fathers, thank you for coming here today. Thank you also to our family who came out all the way from Illinois and California and Missouri and New York. As you know, this is the funeral mass for my mother, Claire Nix, maiden name Donnelly, born in Chicago. Claire lived most of her life here in Denver, and she's been going to Most Precious Blood Parish for 35 or 40 years. My brother and sister and I went to school here for 10 years. If I refrain from looking at my family in this sermon, it's just so I can hold it together, so don't take that as personal. I'm not making a lot of eye contact. There's a lot to say. She is survived. My mother survived by her beloved husband, Jerry, her firstborn son, myself, Father David Nix, then Michael Nix, married to Brenda with their girl, Addie, and Megan, married to Luke Weedle with their children, Zaley, Anna, Naomi, Gabriel, and Lizzie. My dad chose the readings uh, for this funeral, and so I'm going to look at these three readings and apply this to my mother's life. First John 3 reads, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Last night we had the uh, wake, the vigil, and I was surprised at the things said about my mom. Not because I disagreed with them, but because a lot of times, you know, at a eulogy, people will show up and maybe say some kind of nice things and kind of razz them, where there were superlatively nice things said about my mother. For example, as most of you know, she was a pediatric nurse before she met my, uh, her husband, my dad. Um, she was in oncology. She got her master's in the 70s. And some of the things that her fellow nurses shared about her were extraordinary. Um, one said that she was an angel who lit up every room she was in. Another nurse that has known her for a long time said she was the finest human being she's ever met. Uh, her youngest brother called her a hero. Uh, many people from Pontiac Court, we all, where we all grew up, uh, many described her as the heart of the neighborhood. One of my uncles, he pointed out that we all have an ability to love. But he also pointed out that my maternal grandmother had what my grandfather described was an extraordinary ability to love. And that she passed that to my mom. We all have an ability to love, but I think it's true. My mom had an extraordinary ability to love. And I see this legacy um, all the way down to even her grandkids, all my nieces and and even Gabe um, at his two-year-old age there. But I already see this legacy of this extraordinary ability to love, even, even in her grandchildren. Um, my cousin Mike told me that when he was going through a bad time in life, uh, he would call my mom at 2 a.m. And he, she picked up every time with words of encouragement um, when, he, when he needed it. So she was always someone who was there. We recounted stories. I reminded my sister of the time... Uh, when my mom and her were in a gas station car wash, and they were in this gas station car wash for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and then they realized they're not getting out. And I think this was before the days of uh, cell phones, where they didn't know who to call, and so they had to escape out with brushes and hoses. It was like escaping Indiana Jones' Temple of Doom, and they had to, they had to like, you know, buds crawl on the ground and then walk into the uh, gas station soaked as if they'd been pulled out of a lake or a pool. So adventure sometimes found her. 
But I think more importantly is my mom's always the one we wanted to share these adventures with. Um, my aunt described her as the cheerleader. She was, she was truly the cheerleader for all of our lives. I might add, add indiscriminately at times. My brother Michael would walk his dog uh, like every night, and pretty much every other night he told me that he called my mom. And he said he just talked about little things, you know, nothing. That's just who you wanted to call if it was something small or big in your life. It was always my mom. Two of my uncles described her as their best audience, and it's true. I think this extraordinary ability to love she gained first, at first started by triumphing over medical problems she had from childhood. She was the emotional center of our whole family. This is why I think it's appropriate my father chose this line. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. This is this extraordinary ability to love. But as 100% Irish, she was a fighter too. On my dad's 80th video, uh, my brother put together a surprise birthday party for my dad and had everyone do these videos. And I missed the part about my mom, or from my mom to my dad until just this last week. And I'm really glad I saw that. This is what my mom said of my dad to honor him at his 80th birthday two years ago. Some of the things I can think of the Jerry that I love most about you is your character, your integrity, your calmness. Although sometimes I wish you weren't so calm and you'd fight with me a little bit more. <laughs> There's a fighting Irish. And then she added, but I do love you for that calmness and I feel very blessed to be your wife and I love you with all my heart. If my mom was behind you, you could take on a whole army. If she was against you, you felt smaller than her tiny little frame, even up to the end. The gospel my dad chose for this funeral comes from John 6. And Jesus said to the crowd, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. My mom was a very good person. But it's not enough to be a good person to get to heaven without grace. Now I'm sure you're all bracing yourself for the scary part, but Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas puts this in a very beautiful way that we can understand why this is the case. He explains that because heaven is a supernatural goal, no amount of natural goodness can get us there. Because heaven is a supernatural goal, no amount of working in soup kitchens, being an excellent oncology pediatric nurse, can get you there without grace, without the grace of the sacraments, without the supernatural faith in our Catholic faith, without cooperation with that in a life lived in grace. So let's look at the last few months of my mom's life. She was admitted to the hospital in December. And from basically December on, her body just kept shutting down more and more over the last four months. Spent a lot of time at her bedside in the hospital, in their uh, nursing home. And we saw her go down, as I said, to about 60 pounds. Her personal care was provided for by some very generous people in the church here today. But as part of grace, part of getting to heaven is the sacraments. I want to look at the sacraments just briefly over the past four months. About three or four months ago, I asked her pastor to hear a confession, which he did. I gave her extreme unction, which is just another word for anointing at the end. I anointed my mother. 
But the last week of her life was quite extraordinary. Two things to put on the back burner before I get to the main points. One of the things for the non-Catholics to realize here is we do not believe the Eucharist is symbolic. We believe it is literally the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. And we know this, for our Lord said, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. My sister's family, they're raising uh, their family Eastern Catholic. They're Russian Catholics, which just means their liturgies and their sacraments look a lot like the Russian Orthodox, but they are in union with Rome, so they're Catholics. And so my fifth niece, Lizzie, was baptized about 10 days ago at Gardens at St. Elizabeth. Father Joel, I think he had to get permission to do the baptism um, at a uh, regular Western chapel. And as some of you know, when... uh, either an Eastern Orthodox or an Eastern Catholic baby is baptized, that baby receives baptism and confirmation and Holy Communion that same day. And so Lizzie uh, received the precious blood. I think they just basically smear the precious blood just on the inside of the gums for a, a baby that has just been baptized in the East. And while we were at this baptism and Lizzie's first communion, I was FaceTiming it for my mother, who was 12 floors above us at Gardens at St. Elizabeth. And then Father Joel said, um, I'm going to come up and give your mom Holy Communion. She had lost her swallow reflex by this point, and so she was only able to receive the precious blood of Jesus the same way her fifth granddaughter did, which is just a little bit of the precious blood on her lips. And so my mom's last communion came from the same chalice as your granddaughter's first communion, and in the same way. One of the last little fervorinos I gave to my mom before she died was, um, I just pointed out something, I didn't really come up with this, but it just stuck in my mind, that the two most important times in the rosary, and my mom had prayed the rosary every day, at least for the last few years of her life, and Someone pointed out to me, and I pointed this out to my mom, that the two most important times mentioned in the rosary is now and at the hour of your death. That's the only two times that really matter in any of our lives, really, now and at the hour of our death. And I may have explained to my mom that sometime in the near future, these two would dovetail and they would be one moment for my mom. But I didn't know it was going to be like this, that Holy Monday morning, I noticed her breathing, I slept in a recliner next to her that night, and her breathing started getting shallow around 3 a.m. 4 a.m., I woke my aunt, Rhea, to come watch her. I went to the, next, the bedroom next door at this condo at Gardens at St. Elizabeth, offered Mass. Of course, my mom couldn't receive. Her last communion was the day before that, or two days before that, rather, at the hands of Father Joel. And then I came back in, I said, should we call Michael and Megan? That's my brother and sister. She said, no, not yet. But then I watched my mom's breathing, and at 6 a.m. I decided, yeah, I should call them. So I called them. I said, Mom's still alive. Her pulse isn't doing well. So my brother and sister came over. They both got here by 6.20 a.m. They rather got to Gardens at St. Elizabeth by 6.20 a.m. And we started uh, the old rite prayers of the commendation of the soul. Before we get to the rosary, I want to share a little bit of that. You know, some of these old rite prayers, they're exorcismal. They are... They are prayers of spiritual protection. And not only does the priest tell the demons that they must flee at Jesus, get this, the priest even tells the demons they will flee at the coming of this dying person. And so I say this to the dying person. In this case, it was my mother. This was one of the very last things 
I said to her from the old rite, the collectio ritum, the commendatio anime, which just means the commendation of the soul. I said to my mother, this was 40 minutes of the old rite prayers. May you never know anything of the horror and the darkness, of the shrieking and the flames, of the anguish and the place of torment. May the most foul tempter with his mob fall back before you. May he tremble at your coming with your escort of angels and flee into the dread chaos of eternal night. May God arise and his enemies be scattered, and may those who hate him flee before his face. As smoke vanishes, so let them vanish. As wax melts before fire, so may sinners perish before God. But let good men feast and rejoice in the sight of God. May shame and confusion strike the cohorts of hell, and may the slaves of the tempter dare not to bar your way. May Christ, who is crucified for your sake, free you from excruciating pain. May Christ, who died for you, free you from the death that never ends. May Christ, the Son of the living God, set you in the ever-green loveliness of his paradise. And may he, the true shepherd, recognize you as one of his own. May he free you from all your sins and assign you a place at his right hand in the company of the elect. May you see your Redeemer face to face and standing in his presence forever. May you see with joyful eyes truth revealed in all its fullness. That was one of about a dozen prayers I got to pray over my mom in the last hour of her life. At 7 a.m. we began the rosary. And as I mentioned, the now and at the hour of our death became one at this very hour. And my mom was surrounded by my dad, myself, Michael, and then Megan with Lizzie because she was nursing. That's the only reason she didn't bring her other children. She was nursing Lizzie. So we began the rosary at 7 a.m. after 40 minutes of these old rite collectorictum commendation of the soul prayers. We did the rosary, and every decade, my mom's breathing became more shallow. And I'm not making this up. You can talk to Michael and Megan later. Um, she expired at the very last prayer of the rosary, the Hail Holy Queen. That's when now became the hour of her death. And we all uh, put our hands on my mom, and Megan laid Lizzie on her own. And so I really look to these signal graces. Call me old-fashioned. I've been called worse. We look to these signal graces of Our Lady. Um, There's really strong promises for those who pray the rosary towards salvation. My mom died wearing the brown scapular. I got her and my father enrolled right at the beginning of the hospital stay in December. And I hang my hat very much on this promise that Mary said, whoever dies wearing the brown scapular will not suffer the flames of hell. And my mom died wearing the scapular. Now, I'm about the last person in the world to put my spirituality based on feelings. But I want to tell you about, after my mom died, the grace, the light, and the peace that we felt in that room. Um, the medical examiners in Denver had a meeting, and so it took them a few hours to get there. But every time I went back into that room, um, there was, even though my mom's body was, uh, like I said, down to 60 pounds, but it's hard to see her, the light was streaming in gardens at St. Elizabeth, and I just felt nothing but grace, peace, and joy. And that brings me to the last reading my dad chose from Apocalypse or Revelation 21. This is what the Apostle John wrote of the New Jerusalem, which is the Catholic Church, and what he saw of heaven, literally heaven, as he writes. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I am making all things new. My mom's Lent was full of suffering. It was an embarrassing Lent. She had to be changed many times. very hard for a very independent Irish woman to go through this suffering. She died on Holy Monday, carrying the cross with Jesus, it seems. But why in the world should we have to go through a burial in the Easter octave? No, no priest wants to bury his mom in the Easter octave. So I had to ask myself this. It's beautiful my mom carried the cross through Lent. But why do we bury her in Easter? There's a few answers I came up with, and then we'll wrap this sermon up. The first is St. Paul Rome wrote in Romans 6.3, Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there you have the burial of baptism connected to being raised in the newness of life. The church fathers describe Lent as our time on earth and Easter, if we make it to heaven, please God, Easter as our time in heaven. That's what's 50 days. It's even longer than that. Lent represents our time on earth, according to the church fathers, Easter and heaven. Now, we Catholics can't declare someone, we Catholics can't declare someone in purgatory, much less heaven. Some people think that's kind of mean and dark that we don't do that. But here's the thing. If, if I usurp God's ability to decide who goes to heaven and hell, then I'm stealing from God. I might just put my friends and family in heaven and my enemies in hell. I don't have the right to judge, even, even judge in a good way. If I put all my friends and my enemies in heaven, that kind of goes against the, uh, what Christ said about how the way to heaven is narrow and the road to destruction is broad. So I can't declare where my mom is. In fact, in my own testament and will, I beg people to pray for years and years and years for me in case I'm in purgatory. So I beg your prayers for my mom. But I do have a good hope in her salvation because of the grace on her deathbed, crowning a generous life. You know, her suffering at the end was also a signal grace of salvation according to the saints. Protestants often see suffering as, uh, well, real extreme Calvinists sort of see it as a sign of you're not headed in the right direction. But the saints would say severe suffering is a sign of predilection from God. Now, I know that some people have gone in kind of real dark directions with all of that. But when I look at the last few months of my mom's life, really my mom's broken body a bit from her childhood onward, and I think, I think finally of Christ's promise in this reading, Revelation 21, that my, my father chose, that he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. We as Catholics know that everybody at the end of time in hell and everybody at the end of time in heaven gets their bodies back. This is the doctrine of the resurrection of the body. My, bo- my mom's broken little body, all of the things that she carried as a cross in that body will not only be redeemed and renewed and healed at the end of time if she is saved, but they will even glorify God in a way beyond those of us who have not suffered, like my mom physically.
for the saved, God will be all in all. And this is why every one of us in this church must come to know Christ Jesus as our all in all now. I offered a traditional Latin Mass, Requiem Mass, for the repose of the soul of my mother on Wednesday, and I gave this quote from St. John Chrysostom. If you knew how quickly people would forget about you after your death, you will not seek in your life to please anyone but God. If you knew how quickly people would forget about you after death, you will not seek in your life to please anyone but God. Now, my mom had more confidence in human love than I do, so she probably wouldn't like me quoting that at her funeral. But there is a strange coincidence on a similar quote that my mom did like. It's a a similar message, but put in a little bit more gentle way. Okay, we are closing on this. I already said closing, but this, this time I mean it. Wrapping it up. Many of you know that my mom went to Little Flower on the south side of Chicago. Everybody knows St. Therese of Lisieux. I love her with all my heart. But if you look at the prayer card, there's one by St. Therese of Avila. When my mom was in Highlands Ranch Hospital a few months ago, uh, she told me there was a prayer by St. Therese of Avila that she prayed every day. And I was surprised because I knew my mom knew St. Therese, but I didn't know she knew St. Therese of Avila. I actually have this whole prayer in Spanish on my wall in my hermitage, and I don't have many prayers up in the fullness on just a piece of paper. So I was very surprised that my mom prayed this prayer every day, and it's one of the very few prayers I have up entirely at my place. It's the softer and kinder version of that St. John Chrysostom quote that shows us that Christ is the only one we can rely on, and he's the only one who can save us. As I said, that prayer card for my mom has this prayer, and it's this. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. So, as we are in this Easter octave, we look forward to the eternal Easter. Well, we pray for all of us to have the beatific vision where God alone is our all in all. God alone suffices. There was a little bit of artistic license, probably in the Passion of the Christ, when our Lord says to Mary, Behold, I make all things new. He truly said that, but it was from the point of view of heaven in Revelation. But it's placed in that movie at that time for a very specific reason. Jesus says to his mother, As he is dying, behold, I make all things new. Jesus says that to his mother, and I hope he's saying that to the mother of a priest right now who suffered a lot on earth. This is our rich Catholic faith, where Holy Week meets Easter, where earth meets eternity. And I praise God for turning the cross into the resurrection. Eternal rest grant unto her, O Lord, and may the perpetual light shine upon her. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.